Please be seated. Good evening. It's good to see everyone back out this evening. I know we have a lot of people who are traveling over fall break, and our our numbers show that, but yet it's still so encouraging to have another opportunity at the close of the Lord's Day to assemble together once again and to study His Word together, to sing praises to His name, to pray together, and I so appreciate the time of worship we've had thus far. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Jude, a very small book towards the very end of your New Testament. This is a very short epistle that is written, and there are some interesting components to this epistle besides just its brevity, but it's also an epistle that is written to some of of a nondescript group. It's not written to the church at Ephesus or to the church at Corinth or, or even to Christians in a certain region. We're simply told at the beginning of this letter in verse 1, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And what I like about that introduction and the audience to which Jude is writing is that I'm a part of that audience. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a member of the church in Ephesus. I'm not a member of the church in Corinth. Now, obviously, I can relate to what's being written, but I wasn't there. I wasn't present for the events that took place in those areas. But I'm called, I'm sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so, as we begin this epistle, right off of the bat, it it gives me even greater hope that there is much application to be gleaned from an epistle like this. And again, while it's very short, there are some very specific reasons that Jude writes this epistle. You'll see very early on in verse 3 that he is calling on Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, to fight for the truth. He'll go on to encourage and even warn Christians to beware of those who will pervert that truth and who give themselves over to desires and lusts and are actively seeking to cause division among Christians. And so there is both encouragement and warning that is given by Jude to those who are called and sanctified by God the Father. But the part of this epistle that I specifically want to look at this evening comes towards the end. We're going to focus in on verses 22 and 23 together in just a moment. But before we do that, we're going to read from verses 17 down through verse 23. And I'm going to make a request of you this evening that I don't often do, but I I, I am a fan of the New King James. That's what I study from. That's what I read from. That's what I preach from. However, in this particular instance, in my reading, in my study on this passage, I don't think the New King James does the best job of translating this. Now, there's nothing wrong inherently in the way it's translated, but it's translated in such a way that, at least to me, it was a bit confusing. Now, if you're reading from the New American Standard 
or the English Standard Version, or the NIV, or the American Standard Version, they all translate it almost identically, and I think it's much easier to understand. And so I'm actually going to be reading from the New American Standard this evening. If you have access to one of those translations, I think it will be a little bit easier for you. The few Bibles in front of you are New King James, which again, that's fine. It's just going to sound a little bit different. You may have to dive into it a little bit deeper to, to really understand where we're going this evening. But we're going to begin again in verse number 17, and again, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard this evening, and we're going to read down through verse number 23. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Verse 22, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So what I want to talk about with you this evening is Jude's approach to reaching and saving the lost. You see, again, much of the epistle is given to the encouragement of the saints and to warning them of those who would seek to pervert the truth. But towards the end of this epistle, he gives Christians a little bit of an outline as to how we can go about reaching and saving those who are perverting the truth, reaching and saving those who are confused or doubting, reaching and saving those who are engrossed in a life of sin. And he really provides to us three different approaches that we can take depending on the situation that that individual or those individuals may find themselves in. Did you catch that as we read verses 22 and 23? There are three different approaches that he gives. Verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I thought that was really interesting when I was reading through that. That he would provide to us these different approaches that we can take to reaching those who are lost. And the first one, have mercy on them, or show compassion to those who are doubting. I got to thinking about that again in the context of the letter itself that was written. You see, Jude is warning people that there are many out there who are seeking to cause division and seeking to pervert the truth and seeking to lead other people astray. And as you might imagine... When, it, when you are in an environment in which there are people seeking to lead others astray, seeking to pervert the truth, perhaps teaching outright error, 
there may be some who become confused. There may be some who begin to doubt, who begin to question, who begin to wander. Those are the ones who Jude says, you need to have mercy on them. You need to show compassion to them. The idea of of gentle correction that needs to be extended to those. Perhaps those are young Christians. Perhaps those are children who are still in those formative years where they're trying to figure out and understand what God's will is for their lives. You can see how easily it would be for someone to, to lead them astray or to confuse them or for them to begin to doubt something that they're being taught. In situations like that, we need, we need to have the wisdom to see what those individuals need. And what they need is the gentle correction that Jude instructs us to give here. Be compassionate with those people. Be merciful with those people. Be patient with them. Offer that correction that is going to lead them back to the truth. But do so with a gentle hand. Make sure those who perhaps don't have the communities and the support systems that you and I might enjoy, that help keep us grounded in the truth. If you see people who don't have those, make sure that they get involved with a group of people that can ground them and support them. Make sure that they're taught the truth. Help them see what God's will is for their life. And do so with compassion and with mercy. They need that love to be guided back to the truth. The second group of people, Jude changes his tone just a little bit. These are the ones who he says in verse 23, you save these by snatching them out of the fire. You know, when I was, Marcus was just up here leading singing a moment ago. Of course, most of you know that Marcus is a fireman. I'm, I, I don't actually have any stories to share, that he, but I'm sure he probably does. I'm sure he's been in situations where he's had to drag somebody out of a fire. Sometimes you have to take that type of heavy-handed approach with somebody where they're surrounded, they're engulfed by danger, and you have the opportunity and the ability to save them, and so you grab them by the shirt collar and you pull them out of the fire. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We can't drag someone to heaven. We can't force them to love Jesus. We can't force them to turn their life over to Christ. We can't do any of those things. But we most certainly can take the heavy-handed approach when it's necessary that Jude describes here. And when we see someone in the perilous situation of their life being engulfed by sin to help drag them out of that environment. If you have a child, for instance, who is surrounded by, by sinful behavior at school, or who is getting involved with people who are going to lead them astray, or, or, even, or even more, put them in harm's way. As a parent, you have a responsibility to, if necessary, just physically remove them from that environment. And not one parent would hesitate in doing so. We shouldn't hesitate when we see a brother or sister in a situation like that as well. If I see a brother or sister 
who is surrounding themselves with the type of false teachers and divisive people that Jude is describing in this letter, I need to take that heavy-handed approach. Be like, listen, you need to get out of this situation. You are putting yourself in harm's way. Now, that's a little bit harder to do than the merciful, compassionate, guiding hand that we talked about in verse number 22. But why is this instruction given? He tells us pretty clearly why it's given. To save them. And so if you need to take a heavy-handed approach with your children, or with a family member, or with a close friend, that is surrounding themselves with worldliness and becoming engulfed in sinful behavior, don't hesitate to do that. Because sometimes that's what it's going to take to save someone from that sinful environment. The third approach that Jude gives us at the end of verse number 23 After having mercy on some who are doubting, after saving others by snatching them out of the fire, he says, and on some have mercy with fear. Have mercy with fear. I thought that was a really interesting phrase. I was reading this and and just meditating on what that means, to have mercy with fear. The wording of this reinforced in my mind that reminding someone who is engrossed in sin of the eternal destruction that is awaiting them if they continue in that behavior is an act of mercy. If I see someone who is making decisions to turn their back on God, and to push him away, and to involve themselves in sinful behavior, reminding them of the condemnation that they are choosing is an act of mercy. That means that while perhaps it's not our favorite, there is a place and a time for the fire and brimstone kind of teaching. Because making sure that everyone understands the truth about hell is an act of mercy. Making sure that everyone understands that they're going to stand before God in judgment. And if they have lived a life of sin, they will spend eternity in hell. That's an act of mercy to tell them that. Now these second, the second and the third point, I think are a little bit more difficult for us to embrace because of the confrontational nature that they can perhaps create. It's not a fun conversation to talk to someone about how the decisions that they're making are leading them to hell. It's not a fun conversation to talk to someone about having to remove them from an environment because of what the dam- because of the damage that it can be causing them. Those are difficult conversations to have. But remember what the point of this is. 
the point of this is to save souls. And so doing so is an act of love. Doing so is an act of compassion and an act of mercy. Paul did something very similar in a letter that he wrote to the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as he's writing to the Christians there in Corinth about some pretty serious sinful behavior that is taking place among some of the Christians there in Corinth. In speaking about one such individual, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There is a time and a place for that type of vocabulary to be used, that type of messaging to be used, because it's all in an effort to save one's soul. Now, as we look at the three different approaches that are laid out for us here, what it calls upon us to have is a high level of wisdom and prudence as we decide how to approach different individuals. Because make no mistake about it, if you begin talking to someone about the, the, the danger that their, that their decision-making is putting them in and the hell that awaits them if they continue on that path and it's someone who's been a Christian for a week, that may not result in the the desired outcome that we're looking for. And so we have to use wisdom, and we have to use prudence to approach an individual in the way that they need to be approached so that the outcome is that their souls are saved. I want to, we didn't read it at the beginning, but As we begin to wrap this up, I want to look at how Jude concludes this letter as he follows up what we have just talked about and read there beginning in verse number 24. Listen to what he says, keeping in mind the context of what we've just discussed. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Think about how he concludes this letter, given the context that we've just discussed. Because all of this, all of this, the the entirety of this short epistle, is summarized in these last few verses as the responsibility that we have to try and save those who are lost. But at the end of the day, who is able to truly protect you from stumbling? It's not me. It's not you. It's not your spouse. It's not the one sitting next to you. We have a role to play in each other's lives. And there's action that needs to be taken at certain times. But we're not the ones who can keep ourselves or each other from stumbling. We're not the ones who can make ourselves able to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. 
No matter what I do, I can't stand before God blameless. But who is it that can protect me from stumbling? Who is it that can make me blameless? Who is it that can give me great joy? It's God. So when I think about the responsibility that I have to teach the lost, to try and lead them to Christ, I'm doing so because I love them and because I want others to find the great joy and comfort and blessing that I have found in Christ Jesus. But not only that, I want them to find the stability and the perfection and the joy that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Because while I can perhaps help guide someone, while I can offer some strong words if necessary, it is only God who can truly protect you. It is only God who can truly lead you from earth to heaven with him eternally. And as Christians, that is a huge comfort. It should be a huge comfort to us. To know that we have a job to do, a responsibility that is given, but yet it is God's strength and God's power that will present us before him faultless and keep us from stumbling along the way. And he does those things with exceeding joy. So as we conclude this evening, I want you to certainly consider the role that you may be able to play in the lives of those who are lost, those who are confused or doubting, those who are engulfed in sin, whatever the situation may be. I want us to each give some consideration to the role that we can play in helping bring them back to God. But then I also want us to think about the relationship that we have with our Lord. Is he your rock? Is he the one who you turn to to keep from stumbling in the face of temptation? Is he the one that keeps you grounded? Is it his righteousness that you seek? If you've never become a Christian, the opportunity is being extended God is being patient in giving us another opportunity for you to give yourself over to God and to recognize that, Lord, I can't do this on my own. But I am here before you giving my life to you for you to make me blameless in your eyes. What a wonderful thing it would be to end the Lord's day with someone making that decision. Or if you've become a Christian in the past, but maybe you are one who has begun to fall away from the truth. Perhaps you're being confused or you're beginning to doubt. Perhaps your life is engulfed in sin. Whatever that situation is, God is extending his arms to you, ready to bring you back into a relationship with him. He wants to forgive. And when God forgives, the slate is wiped clean. What a wonderful feeling it is to once again experience that joy that he has promised to us. So if you're here this evening and we can do anything to help you spiritually, please let us know by coming to the front.